0: chapter 14 of california desert trails by joseph smeaton chase this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter 14 a desert ride los coyotes to WARNER'S springs i awoke to find the sun making a green and gold sanctuary all about me a canyon wren showering me with cascades of plaintive melody dove sympathizing from a dead branch overhead and numerous bumps on face and arms with mosquitoes. kind regards. kawia was watching for my first movement. With a little encouragement, this comrade of mine would become a tyrant. His annoyance, when I am a half hour late, is not to be mistaken. I knew the night before that I was not far from a small bay or valley, about midway of the canyon known as Collins Valley, or to the Indians as Los Coyotes. This was where I had hoped to camp, and when, after breakfast, I went prospecting for my lost trail, I soon found that another half-mile would have taken us there. It had an attractive look, with a little patch of grass and tulies, a palm or two, and many mesquites and willows, even a cottonwood. There was also an old cabin, another evidence of being in cattle country, though one may travel for many a day and see no cattle, to say nothing of implied mankind. I went back for Kaweah and my traps, and moved to this better camp, where I resolved to stay for a day. As I passed the cabin, I heard someone exclaim, "'Well, I'll be a so-and-so. Here's a man at last. Who are you, anyway?' I glanced in and saw a big fellow stretched on a ramshackle bed that half-filled the place. He excused himself from rising on the score of having "'Dern near wore his feet off' yesterday, clambering over these eternal mountains.' but hospitably told me to come in and share the casa adding there was a rattler around here a while ago but i reckon he's maybe left by now when i had accounted for myself my new acquaintance reciprocated with the statement that he was thomas mcsandy the name was not exactly that for the present a prospector and that he had been grubstaked by a los angeles friend who was acquainted with a man whose brother then in an insane asylum knew of a gem mine the location of which as he described to some official of the asylum was supposed to be somewhere hereabout on this hopeful quest he had been searching the surrounding country and his stake of grub being about exhausted he had given up the job and was striking out next day for home by way of warner's ranch the gullibility of mankind with regard to lost mines or buried treasures is staggering indeed the number and giddiness of these wild-goose chases amount to a phenomenon no story is too unlikely no clue too frail to gain the belief of men in other respects judicious enough the old indians who when dying have spoken of some wondrous canyon in the humbug range the prospectors found at poison springs who at the last gasp have babbled of glittering ledges or placers abandoned by them under stress of famine the others who in this or that county hospital have whispered to some attendant the sure thing secret of the long lost blue-dog or holy-smoke to say nothing of the variegated legends of the peg-leg these must run into hundreds and their devotees into a veritable host McSandy was but one of a long list that I myself could call to mind, to whose credulity no absurdity is an obstacle if their will o the wisp has the glitter of gold. But McSandy proved to have other erratic ideas. Before we had talked half an hour, he boldly announced that he was a poet. Nothing odd about that, of course. In these days of vers lire, we are all poets if we care to say so. BUT IN SOUNDING FOR HIS DEPTH, I DROPPED THE NAMES OF WORDSWORTH AND BYRON. AH, SAID MCSANDY, KINDLING, THEY COULD MAKE POETRY. WHY, do you KNOW, I CAN'T PUT UP ANY BETTER STUFF MYSELF THAN WHAT THOSE FELLOWS DID. DURNED IF I CAN. NO, SIR. I LOOKED AT HIM CAREFULLY, BUT NO, THERE WAS NO SIGN OF HUMOROUS INTENT. CANDOR, REGRET, PERHAPS A TOUCH OF SURPRISE, BUT NO MORE i hastily changed the subject which luckily was easy to do for he had wrongs to relate and adventures to recount that would fill fat volumes he was amazed even incredulous that his name and exploits as a detective in a celebrated case were not familiar to me was convinced that the other side still thirsted for his blood and that emissaries of a certain famous organization were even now on his trail he showed the revolver with which while a deputy sheriff in new mexico he had got his man he had lived everywhere from the argentine to alaska and made and lost scads of money he was full of tales of arsenic springs and poisoned desert waters and of close calls in death valley where he guaranteed a temperature of a hundred and forty five in the shade yet oddly with all these feats to his credit McSandy showed a total absence of that sense of location which is all but indispensable to the desert man. He was even hazy on the points of the compass. McSandy preferred to sleep in the cabin while I spread my blankets nearby outside. The night being warm and not conducive to sleep, my friend unfolded new leaves of his career. I learned that he had visited Constantinople as a seaman on a United States warship, had also been a Michigan lumberman, and I forget how many other things. In spite of his lifelike details, his narrative was an irresponsible farrago that kept me on the edge of an explosion. From Turks we had come to Apaches when I think there's a snake climbing up on the bed, he remarked in the midst of some episode. Can hear him creeping and creeping during his hide. Ain't them rattlers the limit, though? Sure death every time they get you. Say, do you think I'd better make a light and look for what he's doing? He struck a match and, no snake being revealed, concluded that was one of them blamed trade rats. But the snake topic once started as ever a prolific one. Did I know how a king snake kills a rattler? Well, sir, the son of a gun just naturally jumps on top of him, yes sir. Jumps clean off the ground and lights plumb on Mr. Rattler and does him up. Say, he's a son of a gun, ain't he now? Snakes don't jump, don't they? Well then, how about this? Up in Placer County, I killed a rattler one day, cut off his head and two inches down the neck, and then that rattler up and jumped two foot clear. Why, they're powerful jumpers, them sons of guns are. He desired my opinion as to the best course to follow in the event of finding a rattler with one in bed. To jump or not to jump? That was the question. I was strongly for jumping, but McSandy had his doubts. He feared that the rattler would get him ere he was halfway to the door, and would strike even in midair. Yes, sir. I brought up the hoop-snake, legend. Why, yes, sir, McSandy responded. That's all right. I've seen them fellers many a time down in the Argentine. He puts his tail in his mouth, and starts to roll, and roll, and... Say, I'd hate to have one of them fellers a-hooping after me. Joint snake? The feller that breaks up in little bits when you hit him and then joins up together again? No, I ain't never seen them do it, but I reckon it's so, all right. Twenty feet was his estimate of the length of red racers that had crossed his path, while, as for speed, greased lightning was a weak comparison. He had full belief also of the deadly nature of the tarantulas, scorpions, and centipedes' sting with vivid instances to allege in support. When at last we had cooled off enough for sleep, his mind was still busy with snakes, and at intervals I heard him softly murmur, you bet, or son of a gun he is, until final silence fell. On McSandy's invitation I had resolved to change from my intended route to Warner's, and accompany him by a much shorter trail, passing the Indian villages of San Ignacio and San Ysidro, places I had long wished to visit. I bade good-bye, then, to Anza and his band, when the next day we turned westward and made for the mountains. I had meant to visit Thousand Palm Canyon, a second canyon of the name, the other had been taken early in my journey, which opens two or three miles farther up Coyote Creek, but through the glasses it did not look inviting showing only the usual vast fan of gravel boulders and brush i suppose the palms are hidden in the upper gorge there were miles of tedious travel before we reached the foot of the canyon up which our trail ran but we passed this before the sun was high and it was still early when we commenced the steep ascent agaves and mesquite continued with us but soon there appeared willows sycamores and occasionally a palm or two giving interesting variety after a mile or two of warm climbing we found a spring on the hillside and stopped for a rest and the luxury of drinking without the medium of a canteen the ground about the spring was ablaze with a superb cardinal flower lobelia splendens a plant which surely represents nature's last effort in intensity of color even more charming were a few wild roses Meeting them here, their frank, innocent look seemed almost touching by contrast with the ungentle desert forms just left behind. The trail was far too steep and rough for riding. I was close behind McSandy, leading Kawea, when I saw my supposedly experienced friend stop and draw his hand across a lobe of the common Opuntia basilaris cactus, remarking that Burbank was a fraud for here was a spineless cactus growing wild mr burbank was promptly avenged it took a half an hour to free McSandy's sandy's hand of the worst of the hair-like prickles and when we came to the next water and stopped for lunch he spent an industrious hour in finishing the job though this trail is little known and not given on any map it is plain from the depth to which it is worn that it has long been used by the indians in passing between their desert and mountain villages the rock that gave a shade was blackened with the smoke of ancient fires and in the earth i found beads scraps of pottery and yellowed bones some of which had a strong look of homo sapiens nearby were deep holes in the solid rock where generations of squaws had ground their flour. The trail now became steeper, one of the steepest indeed that I ever tackled. Cahuilla was a good deal worried, and often inquired with earnest gaze if I knew where I was going. We made progress by scrambles of forty or fifty yards at a time, sometimes in the bouldery creek bed, sometimes on slippery mountainside. The changes in vegetation as we climbed were full of interest, though the circumstances were not the best for noting them. In the wet creek bottom grew masses of the same wonderful lobelia, often six feet tall with flowering heads a foot in length. Sycamores and alders mingled with the willows, yet here and there the desert-loving palms held on, though the altitude was well over 3,000 feet. On the open mountainside the wild plum was common, now hung thickly with yellow fruit. The California sumac, ovata. Made blots of heavy color on the pale background of the rock. A little higher, the mountain mahogany, Cercocarpus, came in, an attractive individual bush, at this time silvery with the silky seed vessels. Then scrub oaks appeared, and next the ever welcome juniper. Yuccas still held their own on rocky ledges, looking strangely out of place. Yet higher, Masses of dull gold that had been puzzling me proved to be groves of the interesting Adenostoma sparsifolium, or false cedar, with bright red bark, slender foliage, and huge clusters of white blossom that were now faded to golden brown. The sturdy Manzanita was another goodly sight, but most so of all on nearing the crest the pines, often sighed for, who now gave me kingly welcome." On this high skyline they were finely pictorial and as much the unquestioned monarchs as ever. I have heard that it is a custom in mountainous parts of Spain to brush the face of a newborn child with a twig from a pine. I think something of the kind has happened to me, for among these trees I find that my face unconsciously takes on a smile. It was nearly sunset when we struggled up the last rise and crossed the pass at about 5,000 feet. A short descent brought us to water, but forage was scanty, and, tired as we were, it was necessary to push on. Two miles farther we climbed a second crest and looked down on a little green valley. This was the home of old Santiago Segundo, the patriarch of the San Ignacio Indians. At the house we found Santiago, his San Felipe, three or four picturesque squaws, and a half dozen unfriendly dogs. The old man was a memorable figure. Tall and well-built, with features more of Egyptian than of our western Indian caste, and bearing a natural dignity, from sandal feet to thick white hair, he looked the ideal Indian chief. Our request for permission to camp by the stream was refused. The only time I have been denied at an Indian's but I could not complain, for the Indian has good reason to be suspicious of white strangers. It was dark when we came to a larger valley encircled by pine-clad heights, where we found the Rancheria of San Ignacio. It is a romantic situation, like an eagle's eyrie on a craggy crest of the mountain. On one hand is the desert, far and steep below. On the other, the long seaward slope, fifty miles as a crow flies, to the Pacific disappointment met us at the first house we tried which belonged to the tribal policeman but the next attempt brought better fortune for smiling mary jane segundo the very type of good humor made us welcome to camp hay, anything we wished this was a relief for the day's travel perhaps twenty miles in distance had been equal to forty on the level and i had not ridden any part of the way when i made bold to ask if we might share the family supper sure you may came the reply from the gloom where mary jane hovered with fork and lantern over a crackling fire it was an excellent meal eggs fried to a charm frijoles at their best wild honey fresh out of the rocks coffee at perfection and such a biscuit as one seldom meets on this mortal plain there was tasahay too but not for me i have had experiences with jerky that after the lapse of years remains a solemnizing memory the household consisted of our hostess her mother who carried her years so lightly that i took her for a sister and two cousins jose and dionisio the latter a boy a good deal of laughter went with remarks in their own language of which we were plainly the object it might well have been our appetites that were the joke i was able to bring mary jane items of news of her relations on the desert this made us doubly welcome and it was altogether a pleasant evening that i spent in the smoky adobe the room itself was worth observing festooned with ropes of chile and pasaje adorned with chromos of religious subjects and hallowed by a tiny shrine with candle and crucifix as there seemed a prospect of rain we elected to sleep in the barn with the rats My companion again attributed every disturbance to snakes and twice during the night made a tour of the premises with lantern and revolver. As it happened, I killed a rattler a few yards away on first going out in the morning, whereupon McSandy declared that after this he was going to shoot whenever he heard them sons of guns snooping around. The daylight view of San Ignacio confirmed its attractiveness, the little valley was deliciously green water was abundant and the surroundings were almost alpine in boldness and novelty the air was superb and the summer climate delightful eight or ten families make up the little settlement perched on the rocks besides mary jane's adobe was the Mayonot or storage basket in which the indian housewives keep their stores of acorns pinion nuts or other wild provisions in the house were a number of handsome baskets for various uses, jars and ollas of native pottery without decoration but excellent in form, bows and arrows with which Dionisio, as he told me, was able to kill rabbits at forty or fifty yards, throwing sticks for the same purpose, and much of the paraphernalia of the old Indian ways of life. The rumor having spread that a man was taking pictures, the children of the village assembled for this thrilling experience. When I sent them for their bows and arrows with a view to characteristic group, some of the young warriors returned with weapons taller than themselves. Down a steep road that followed the windings of San Ysidro Creek, we took our way for Warner Springs. This wooded country of oaks, pines, and cedars was enchanting to me. It seemed incredible that one day's travel could so change every aspect but that of the sky though even that was a more cheerful blue, no longer a pale, glory azure of the desert. Grass waved along the roadside. What a contrast to choyas! Late flowers brightened the path, replacing gray burrow weed and snaky ocotillo. Kingly oaks for dull mesquite, whiny breadth of cedar instead of acrid acaline dust, frank bird in place of furtive reptile. It was a blessed exchange. And yet, and yet already i felt the magic the magnetism of the old wonderful desert drawing me back back to its dreariness silence and secrecy its cruelty of heat and thirst its infinite expanse its ageless mystery and calm its threat of death its passionless repose i am no misanthrope i love my fellow men indeed i eagerly claim my right in mortality But there is a presence in that quietude a sense of wisdom and of the sadness that goes with it which something in me recognizes as brotherhood too the mountains the ocean the forest go deep in their spell but the desert goes deepest of all McSandy, anxious to reach civilization and supplies had gone on ahead kaweah and i were well content to idle in this elysium of roadside springs fresh green fodder and beguiling sights and sounds some few miles along a neat little house appeared the owner sitting patriarchally under its sheltering oaks he proved to be sibimoat capitan of the indians of san ysidro half a dozen young bucks were loafing on the porch inert hardly speaking simply enjoying the passage of time while their saddle ponies stood about with drooping heads I had often known Cawia to act as a mutual friend and breaker of ice when we came among Indians. However far from home, he is spotted at once as of Indian breed, and often recognized as having been present at some fiesta or other foregathering. Ah ha! Where did you get that pony, Francisco Patencio? Palm Springs, I would answer. Ah, see, sí, I know. Good pony you get. How much you pay? And so we were launched. Indians and Mexicans never forget a horse, and more easily recall the rider by his horse than the horse by his rider. The San Ysidro Indians' farming land lies scattered along the course of the creek. For miles I saw below me little fenced scraps of bottomland planted with beans, potatoes, corn, or barley the barley was being harvested with a sickle as it has been ever since the padres taught the california tribes to supplement nature's roots seeds and game by a little not too much exertion on their own part san ysidro village itself is a dreary hamlet of a dozen typical indian houses a tiny cemetery and a brush ramada for the accommodation of visitors to the yearly fiesta by now we had left the pines and were traveling through less inviting country So I was not sorry to approach a wide valley, which I recognized as the Valle de San Jose, or Warner's Ranch. This tract of nearly 50,000 acres is one of the last of the old land grants to remain unbroken since Mexican times. Over the valley hung the smoke of a forest fire. The road ran steadily down, opening a view of the timbered Vulcan mountains far to the south. Finding a trail that made direct for the settlement, we plunged through thickets of fragrant chemise and glades ennobled with oaks, and at early evening came to what was formerly the Indian village of Agua Caliente. Some years ago the old population were evicted, and their neat cottages coolly appropriated by the whites. The place is now known as Warner Springs, and has become a summer resort on a small scale. The attraction being the hot sulphur springs from which it took its old spanish name McSandy made for his old bivouac in the dismantled indian church apart from scruples on the religious score which McSandy thought high flown i preferred the open air so i chose a spot beside the warm creek for my camp it is reported by some old traveller that the indians of agua caliente were in the habit on cold nights of sleeping in the creek with a grassy bank for a pillow at this season there was no need to adopt this simple dodge further on my journey i found people in imperial valley soaking their couches with cold water before going to bed for better comfort on sultry nights on calling at the store for mail and the news i learned that two days after i passed clay point a party of three men met disaster a few miles farther south one perished of thirst THE OTHERS BARELY ESCAPED WITH THEIR LIVES. FOOTNOTE. WHILE PREPARING THESE PAGES, AT LEAST FOUR CASES OF THIS KIND HAVE COME TO MY NOTICE IN THE LOCAL NEWSPAPER. THE LATEST, A TYPICAL ONE, REPORTS THE END OF A PROSPECTOR WHO WAS FOUND DYING BESIDE ONE OF THE SO-CALLED POISON SPRINGS ON THE NORTHERN PART OF THE DESERT. HE HAD REACHED THE PLACE FAMISHING FOR WATER AND PROBABLY HAD DRUNK TOO MUCH. EVERY YEAR THE DESERT TAKES ITS TOLL. End of footnote. End of chapter 14.